You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Howdy, everybody. This is Pat Hoos, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Bicycle Retail Radio, which is presented by the National Bicycle Dealer Association. I'm here today as your host for today's podcast, and I'm really excited because today our guest is a gentleman by the name of John David, and John is the current Chief Operating Officer of USA BMX out of Gilbert, Arizona. So welcome, John. Hey, thank you, Pat. So glad to be here today. Appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I think this is going to be actually a very interesting discussion. So I'm looking forward to it. But before we jump into the meat of this, I thought it might be a good idea to kind of introduce ourselves and tell a little bit about our backgrounds. And I'll kick off just by kind of shedding some light on who I am and why I'm on this call. People might know me from my days as the show director and VP over at Emerald Expositions, and I oversaw the Interbike trade show for seven years. But I've held a number of positions within the bike industries at companies like Cannondale and Titus. I was with American Bicycle Group. I was an independent rep for many years. But what's interesting that I thought I'd share with you, John, because I shed some light on sort of my background and why I was anxious to jump on this opportunity. My background goes back to Southern California. I grew up in the 60s. And I was part of what started you know, started BMX. I had the Schwinn Stingrays. I had, on the weekends, my brother and all of our friends would take our bikes apart and rebuild them, build the Bendix hubs, rebuild those every weekend. We'd paint our frames. We'd go down to the Schwinn shop and buy handlebars. And it's just, I was part of that whole era. And my dad saw how into it that we were, my brother and I, that he thought it'd be a great idea to buy a bike shop. So he did. And at 14, I was a mechanic at a bike shop in Newbury Park, California. So I learned retail and I learned how to, you know, wrench and sell bikes. And that led to a job down by uh, San Diego State where I went to college. And the bike shop that I worked at and eventually ran the store was a shop called Wheels and Things. And this was back in 1982, 83. And that shop was basically the home base for the Diamondback National Racing Team. So I worked in a store that was the host to Harry Leary and Eddie and Mikey King and kind of in the heyday of BMX. And the, the owner of the store, Sandy Finkelman, was the manager of the Diamondback National Racing Team. And he and Mike Bobrick back in the day were really one of the, some of the pioneers in BMX racing, if I'm not mistaken, and left the legacy of BMX. So it's something that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm excited to hear what's happening in the world of BMX, and who better than you, John, to tell us all about what's happening with USA BMX. Share your background with me. I'd love to hear. I started out as a racer, BMX racer, and actually, it's funny you mentioned some of the brands that you did. Our local BMX track in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, growing up, was ran by Capital Schwinn Cyclery, which was a great Schwinn dealership back in the day, a classic vintage Schwinn dealership. And uh, started out racing my sister and I and did that for quite a few years. Got into motorcycle racing, was real competitive in, in motocross racing. Went into, got into college when it was going to LSU, stopped the motocross stuff and jumped back on the BMX bike and ended up working for the Park and Recreation Department, which was now you know, operating the, the local BMX track and just fell right back in love with BMX racing again and just really, really enjoyed it. And I mean, as a kid, I, I was, I was a bike shop rat. I mean, I was the kid that was in there. I must've looked at my Hutch Jr. Pro that my dad finally bought me about 4,000 times before, you know, my dad actually took the bait and bought it and got me into the sport. But running the club in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but shortly thereafter, I got hired on by the governing body to come in 
and started off as being one of their field directors and just kind of managing, you know, the network of BMX tracks. This was in the late 90s. And so my, my career is about as boring as it gets because literally BMX is all I've ever done. In 2000, I got brought on board with ABA, the American Bicycle Association. And this is my 20th year with the company. So wow. I feel like I am truly one of the lucky ones because out of college and for my entire career, all I've been able to do is help kids get on BMX bikes and enjoy the great sport of BMX racing. And I just honestly, I just feel blessed. Man, that is great. I had no idea you'd been in it that long. That's fantastic. And that brought you to USA BMX, which I don't know that everybody knows sort of the history of BMX and how it came to be what it is today and how we have USA BMX. But it wasn't always that way. And I remember back in the day, it was, man, it was a dogfight between the ABA and the NBL. Can you talk a little bit about that history and just sort of what's led us to where we are today? Sure. It's so fascinating. I mean, I tell you, I tell everybody one of these days I'm, I'm going to write a book. And, you know, so when I was a track operator, I, I actually was a track operator of an NBL club, a National Bicycle League club. And my first job right out of college was with the National Bicycle League. And then in 2000, made that shift to come and work for ABA. Historically, ABA was founded in 1977. The NBL was founded a few years before that, and and they were really kind of your two majors. There were definitely some other brands and other associations, USBA, National Pedal Sports, but really, you know, in in the mid 80s, it really evolved into just these two associations. You know, ABA was what tended to be more of a West Coast brand and more of a West Coast association. NBL more of an East Coast association. And quite frankly, for the you know half of my career, really it was this just fierce battling among these two conferences. I mean, even at Interbike, Pat. I mean, we, we even Interbike had awkward moments between these two oh, associations. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, to be honest with you, the sad byproduct was is that you had both entities that loved their sport, loved BMX racing, and they, we all did. We were all guilty of spending too much time worrying about each other and, and not growth of sport. And we were we'd been working really, really hard in 2000, 2005, six and seven, and the sport became an Olympic sport in 08. And uh, quite frankly, the, the NBL really just came on some tough times. There was a great opportunity for us to unify the sport. American Bicycle Association came in and bought the assets of the National Bicycle League and unified the sport. And in a process of that unification, our leadership team sat down here and said, you know what? We need a whole new brand. We can't continue to go on with this legacy of either ABA or NBL. The sport is finally unified for the first time in almost 40 years. We need a brand new brand that is representative of what we are and who we are. And that's when American Bicycle Association created that brand of USA BMX. And that's what we've been operating under since 2011. And it has been such a joy because all that energy of that competition among the associations is now just shifted to growth of sport. And day in and day out, every day in these offices, we're sitting here talking about how do we get more kids on bicycles? How do we get more kids racing BMX? How do we help our local clubs be more successful? And that's where all that energy and focus is. And it's just been a blast. It's a crazy history. I'm thankful we've been a part of it. That's great. That sheds a lot of light on uh, on what's going on. And Part of the reason we're here today and talking is because I'm also, I, I've been a board member of People for Bikes. I've been on the BPSA board for a number of years, and there's been a lot of discussions about the future of our sport, of cycling in general, not just BMX, but where, how do we get more kids on bikes? And, you know, BMX to me was a gateway. It's always been a gateway to getting 
into creating our future customers. And so people might be on this, listening to this podcast going, well, why are these guys on this? What does this have to do with my retail business? Well, to me, it has a lot to do with the retail business. And we'll bring that all back into focus over this next 30 minutes, 40 minutes. But that's, to me, the crux of what we're here to talk about is, is how does what's going on in the USA BMX and in the BMX world, how does that benefit? And how can retailers play a bigger role in that? So we'll get to that in a minute. In a minute. But before we do, I wanted to ask, you mentioned it a little bit in the last statement, but talk to us a little bit more about USA BMX's primary mission. What are your objectives as, as an organization? What's your mission statement? Truly, truly for us, it's all about expanding the sport of BMX racing and, and offering just great BMX family fun entertainment at our 320 and growing BMX clubs across the United States. Every day, again, like I mentioned, I mean, our, our, our mission is, is to provide the best, you know, membership association that we can and in doing so providing the best service that we can to our local clubs and their volunteers and, and our track operators and just exposing as many families and children to what is just, I mean, honestly, in our opinion, the best kept secret that's out there. That's really what it's all about for us. No, it's awesome you say that because that's really, you go out to a BMX track on the weekends, it's family. It's all about family. It's mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And it's a day of being outdoors and doing something good for your kids. And But it brings the family together and people aren't going off to their own rooms to go get on computers and get distracted. I love it. It's If you haven't been to a BMX race lately, Pack up your stuff and get to one because it is really a fun, fun day. Go ahead. If you want to add anything to that, please do. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, what, it, it's, it's, it's a story that we love to tell. I mean, and we're so passionate about it because our staff, I mean, we're, not, we're literally, we were born and raised at the BMX track. I mean, I think our entire staff that's here, I mean, and that's really in our DNA. And, and I'm so, I love so much this opportunity to bring families, to bring new people to our sport and, and share what it is. And it's so rare. It's so rare in today's society that that you, what you see at the BMX track and this culture that's there and this family activity that's there because nine times out it's it's not just little Johnny that's out there racing BMX and participating you know he he's out there he's been out there two or three months statistically we see mom or dad go in and buy a membership next and now they're participating in that and that's really what you know when we talk about cycling as a sport you know what we want to advocate I mean BMX is the gateway BMX is the gateway to get families involved in the sport and right now one of our major initiatives too is is on our balance bike classes yeah. we, you know we just were we were in Virginia for our Blue Ridge Nationals the second race of the season we had almost 30 kids signed up in the age groups of two three four and five year olds on balance bikes I mean how phenomenal is that That's I mean awesome. in, in from a, a cycling as a sport and as a business what a competitive advantage that we have over other sports that we can get these children actively participating with a membership as young as two years old what other sports can say that they have the ability to do that? Not many. And we're taking advantage of that now. And I'm telling you, when those kids get out there on those bounce bikes, it's the highlight of the day for a lot of people because they're freaking adorable. And it's just, they're so competitive. It's just, it's awesome. I mean, just watching the parents out there cheering on their little Johnny or Susie, it's just amazing. So get out to the tracks, folks. That's all I want to tell you. One thing I wanted to ask is I don't think I know, and I'm not sure our audience knows very well, but where does your funding come from? What pays for you guys to exist and, and be this, you know, governing body and sanctioning body. Um, are there corporate sponsorships? Are you getting much from the industry? Where's the support coming from? 
It's a great question, and it's and it's kind of an interesting one. I mean, the great news is with BMX is if if right now today, if we didn't have corporate sponsor number one, our business would be completely self-sustainable. We're not like, a, and it's just kind of a, it's not something we're happy about. We certainly would love to have, you know, more corporate support, which we do, and that's growing every day. That segment's getting bigger and better. But really for us, I mean, it's our primary sources of revenue, of course, are membership. It's $60 to purchase an annual membership for BMX Racing. There is some revenue that comes in from terms of different various fees that the clubs pay, but that's really nominal. But one of the things that's very unique about the founders of the American Bicycle Association is when they created the national series. So the, the program really started off on just local racing. Then there became district level racing, then state series and state level racing, then regional racing, then the national series. Well, the national series over the last 40 years has developed into a very, very strong uh, operational aspect of our business. So we host about 25 national races across North America. And on average, these events are at least about a thousand uh, riders in participation. Some are grand nationals ha- has over 3000 uh, riders, you know, but, but really that average is about a thousand. So riders, of course, like any major event, pay entry fees, that entry fee revenue is retained by USA BMX and we own and operate the event. But the beauty of the system is that for us, while that's such a major driver of revenue, the way that we look at the business is that the only way that we can succeed on this national level is if we're supporting the local level. So while we have major operations and two 18-wheelers on the road and and 20 of our staff members that are constantly going to all of these events all across the country, really for us, the primary focus has always been and retains to be what's happening at Chandler BMX on Tuesday night during their practice. How many new members are they signing up? How can we help them with their marketing efforts? What can we do to support them from a social media aspect? You know, and what's happening on, you know, their Saturday night race? That's really the focus of who and what we are because if we're successful on the local grassroots part of the track, every other layer within that stairway to success as we call it will be successful. From a sponsorship standpoint, you know, we've got a lot of great partnerships you know, that are out there and developing more and more uh, every day, things that we're really proud of. Uh, but, but honestly, it's nowhere where we would like it to be. And, and the more corporate par- partnerships that we can bring to the table, just the more opportunity that we have to go and grow the sport. Well, I'm glad you said that, because I, I look at this almost more so from where the, there's such an opportunity at the local level. And I was running the 661 protection and helmet gear company out of San Diego. And we went over and met with the guys running the Kearney Mesa track down in San Diego and came out there and it's this great looking track. And, you know, the guy who runs it, he's, he's a kind of a, a coop, but he's awesome. And he <laughs> loves the, he loves the kids yep. and he's just out there everywhere. And he busts his butt. There's no sponsorship. There's no signage on the tracks. There's nothing from local retail. And I'm scratching my head going, why is this happening? Why aren't local shops recognizing that this is happening during the week? And on the weekends it's, it's packed with, Potential customers, get out there. Those track guys are looking for support and they'll give you so much love and promote you, your store, if you get involved. And it's a new customer and it's a family. Your NBDA membership helps support Bicycle Retail Radio. Go to nbda.com to join or renew your membership today. 
and again, and for us in the way that we look at it from a BMX perspective, look, that's the lifeline. I mean, that's the lifeline of the future customer that's going to come out and buy the carbon fiber mountain bike when he's 30. You know, that's a guy that, that's a guy when he's 35 that's going to buy the unbelievably expensive road bike. And we really do feel like that's our task within BMX is to get these kids on the track at a young age, get them involved on this, in a great family sport and create a love and a passion for cycling. And it's interesting because, you know, we had really, we've had just phenomenal growth really ever since 2008 and steadily year over year, adding more members, adding more new programs, adding more new, new BMX clubs, growing BMX. I mean, if you look at it from a segment perspective, it is, is a shiny star among the cycling community. But you know, the one thing we really realized we hadn't done is we hadn't been our, our own best advocate within the cycling industry. We kind of got used to the cycling industry, kind of ignoring what was going on in BMX and just kind of not paying attention to it. It doesn't have a high profit margin. It's a small item uh, you know, on the list of, of what's in the store. We really hadn't done that. And that was an initiative of ours. We really started about two years ago. I reached out to NBDA to talk to them about, hey, how do we tell our story a little bit more? Because we're doing great things and truly to do even better things, we need industry support. We need the retailers to come back home to BMX, to come back to what their roots and their foundation are so we can build lifelong cyclists. So, I mean, what you saw at Kearney, at Kearney Mesa is, is such a great example of, of what BMX is, of people out there. I mean, you've got 320 BMX tracks across the United States that are actively going out, marketing, promoting, and creating brand new cycling customers. Who else is doing that? No, not many. And I've talked to retailers. I have a number of big retailers that are friends of mine. And I say, what are you guys doing with BMX? And their typical response is, oh, we gave up on BMX years ago. And I kind of just shake my head like, do you not get what's going on? And that's part of what I was hoping you could share with us a little bit today. Talk to us. You mentioned some growth. And can you, do you have some hard numbers you can talk about? The number of riders and the growth over the last, say, five to 10 and what's happening in BMX? Because I think it might shift some people's paradigms to hear what's happening with BMX because they've dismissed it. And I keep hearing from companies in the BMX market, they're like, Pat, we're kicking ass. Shh, don't tell everybody. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, we're so excited because really last year and already in the beginning of this year, we're starting to see those seeds that we've planted years ago really kind of start taking off. We're seeing some great growth. And we made some, some really strong strategic alliances and some really approaches that we're just really happy in, in what the results have been. And so from a membership perspective, literally for the last almost eight years, BMX has, has experienced anywhere from a 3 to an 8% growth rate every single year, year over year. I mean, so we keep growing and growing and growing and adding more new members. I mean, we're on an annual basis right now, we're bringing in almost 30,000 brand new athletes into the sport with a membership base that's right now that's right at about 70,000 total members. For us, to be honest with you, Pat, we're scratching the surface. I mean, we're really just now with some of these new programming initiatives that we've created, starting to really figure out within the new day of social media and advertising on how to get families to show up at the BMX track. We've done some really neat things recently that have shown that. But uh, one of the great studies that came out in 18 a couple of years ago, and it was the same again in 19, but you know, the Sports Fitness Industry Association, which, which does a lot of reporting on tracking sports, you know, found that BMX was the fastest growing sport in 2018. 
In 2019, we were the third fastest growing sport. So we've got great data that can show it to you. We see it in our membership database every single day and the growth that we're experiencing year over year. BMX is, is A, healthy, B, in really great hands, and C, you've got an enthusiastic group over here at USA BMX that is fired up to take this sport to the next level. And some of the things that we didn't have before BMX, you know, appeared to be this niche sport. Well, now it's an Olympic sport. It appeared to be to have the heyday back in the 80s. Well, I'll tell you that right now we've got more people actively racing BMX than in the history of the sport. When you tell the story and you tell it through some of the avenues in which we're doing now, we've got educational programming that's absolutely phenomenal. We're highly active in sports tourism. We're one of the premier brands. When you go to some of these sports tourism trade shows, people love BMX racing. I love walking around all these different booths from all these different convention and business bureaus, and 50% of them show a picture of a kid on a BMX bike because they're so proud of hosting one of our events. So. We're doing some great things, and, and the numbers show it. And from a retailer perspective, that's the new message that we're trying to broadcast, to say, listen, everybody understands what's happening in retail. Let's not be our own worst enemy where we're ignoring a segment because there's not much profit margin, there's not much traction. Let's engage that segment. Let's engage that segment and recognize, okay, look, this really is this really is the breeding ground of future cyclists, and let's be a part of something that's special and something that's great. Might not have the biggest profit margin today, but watch what happens in 10 and 15 and 20 years. Absolutely. I applaud you for what you're doing. It's not unlike what's happened with triathlon. It became you know, Triathlon became a tough category, and a lot of shops gave up on it because the investment on the bikes was on the high side of things. You had to buy wetsuits. You got to get into you got to make the commitment to the category. And so a lot of people gave up on it. And, and what happened? The customer ended up going to an online retailer to find their needs. And that's what's kind of happening a little. It happened with BMX to a large degree. Sure. It became an online business. I'm hoping people get from this podcast that there is opportunity to come back in. The investment is not like getting into the tri-bike market. It's a reasonable investment and you're building a customer base for the life of that customer. You're getting in on the front end. You know what I mean? One of the great stories, again, I, I love anytime I have a chance to, to talk with Brandy from NBDA and hearing her stories. And she's such a savvy retailer as well. But you know, one of the statements she said that just stuck with me, she goes, hey, I love the BMXer, the, the former BMXer, because they get the concept of the upgrade. These guys understand what it means to go and upgrade a derailleur and upgrade some of the high-end parts. And, and that's unique within our customer base. And, and, you know, we've got so many great examples, though, uh, too, of, of retailers that have partnered with their local bike shop and or with their local BMX track, I should say. And they've created that partnership. They're helping with like the fleet of loaner bikes that every new kid you know comes and tries, you know, their first lap on a bike is from a loaner bike from this particular bike shop and different programs like that, that they can honestly engage with a BMX track at a very low point of entry, show that support, and take a local BMX track that's bringing in 100 brand new you know, racers into the sport and getting 100 brand new customers right to their doorstep. I mean, and it's not a hard conversion. It's a very, very easy conversion. And the ROI is extremely strong, partnering with that local club and that local BMX track. So, Doug, do you guys have pretty good demographic numbers? I'm curious to see, you know, in the bike industry, one of the struggles we have is we don't have enough women. We don't we don't have enough ethnicity in in our sport. It's it's a white male dominated sport, and it's not ideal. If we're hoping to see the pie grow, we need to get beyond what we are today, and we need to embrace more women and, and young girls getting on bikes. And we need to see 
different ethnicities getting involved in sport. And this to me seems like BMX can open that up and, and get all of that going at an early age. What are you guys seeing and what do you, do you have any specific recruitment efforts in that world, in that realm? We recognize the same thing. And I would say that historically, the demographics of, of BMX has really tracked that of other traditional, you know, other disciplines of cycling. One of the challenges certainly that we face w- with bringing girls into our sport is, again, you've got this helmet, you've got this gear, you've got race pants, and notoriously, this stuff is just not made for girls, not made for women. What we've tried to do internally within the BMX industry is we've tried to challenge our partners and said, listen, hey guys, you know, I've got two daughters myself. I'm like, Grace David has no interest in wearing that BMX helmet, none whatsoever. So what can we do to to make something that's going to appeal more towards the female athlete? What can we do to make it to where it's more fun for them? And we've had some, some great responses. Fly Racing, who's a big sponsor of ours and is just terrific to work with. Those guys have really done some great stuff with some of their apparel and their gear to make it more female friendly, just from a look and feel standpoint, and just make something that's cool for the girls to wear. That's been a great initiative for us. And we, we really recognize that importance of growing that category. We've got one of the best representatives of our sport that you could ever have in our, our national champion uh, in Olympian, Elise Post. Uh, Elise Post, you've never seen her, is just one of the most unbelievable bike riders that you could ever you know, see in, in your life. And uh, world champion, she's going to be going into Tokyo as the favorite. We are so excited for her you know, in, in what her efforts are. We've really tried to, to take that opportunity of just such a, an iconic BMX racer that's a female. And really, honestly, she's the most popular racer in our sport right now. And we've done everything we can to really expose her you know, to the masses. To, to We're really using her primarily right now as kind of the poster child for BMX racing. So she was recently on NBC on the Today Show on the, the preparation for the Olympics and, and coming out. Our PR director has been working with her daily on more and more exposure. That was done intentionally. We, we particularly wanted to have an amazing female athlete to take the lead for us, and, and we couldn't be prouder with that. So we definitely have some initiatives uh, to break up that diversity in a lot of different ways, and, and we're starting to incrementally see some growth there, which we're really excited about. Traditionally, we've been about you know 13% female participation, and, and we're starting to see that grow. Uh, our goal within the next three years is to get that to about 20%. Fantastic. That's great. I mean, do you have any ethnicity numbers at all? I mean, to shed some light, because I would think we're starting to open that up. I mean, but I don't know. I, I That's a good, it's just a question. I'm just curious to know if, if, if we're seeing diversity come in. You know, it, we're, we're, historically, we haven't. I mean, historically, okay. it, it's been exactly as you described earlier. Some of the initiatives, though, that we are doing, especially within some of the educational programmings in the schools, we're starting to see that open up some more. And we see great hope in that opportunity. And it really, I mean, the the great part, you know, when it comes to that is just that the more that we can expose the sport to get more athletes on it from all backgrounds, I mean, the better we're going to be. And and again, to your point, this is an industry-wide problem. And then we all have to work to solve together. Yep, you're absolutely right. NBDA's newest program is called Rides. It will increase your store revenue and your customer loyalty. It's exclusive to NBDA members. Go to nbda.com and join today. So I want to come back to Tokyo a little bit because it's exciting. And I, unfortunately, you're going to have a little competition this year because now skateboarding is an official Olympic event. And I had the benefit of working with a company out of San Diego that we had ProTech and we had Sector 9 on the skate side of things. And 
man, I was, they were pretty pumped in my office because they were seeing this spike in demand for skate, which had kind of been flatlining for a number of years now. We're seeing a resurgence in skateboarding and, and kids getting back out on the streets and doing it. So it's awesome. But talk to me a little bit about BMX in Tokyo and beyond the Galilee that you just mentioned. Is What else can we do with this Olympic opportunity? For us, capitalizing on that opportunity has been paramount. And we're putting some of the strongest efforts that we ever have in making major, major investments in capitalizing off of the exposure opportunity. And so much of that, I mean, and Pat, you've been around a long time. It's early, early positioning. You know, I mean, literally with the, with the guys from NBC, I mean, you've got to be in their ear, in their, in their ear often. And one of the best things that we did is we hired a PR director by the name of Katie Moses Swope, who was the PR director for the X Games and, and, and just knows the industry in and out. And she's been on our team for about four years gearing into Tokyo. And we just, we couldn't be more thrilled at the kind of exposure. I mean, she's gotten a lease in our athletes in the New York City going through the media uh, a gauntlet, you know, I think three or four different times. And the exposure that we're starting to see is phenomenal. Lisa was featured on the cover of Southwest Magazine, her and her husband. I mean, she got a lease on the Today Show. So we're, we're seeing the fruits of that labor really come out. And it's a, it's a really kind of a delicate situation, though, to be quite candid with you, because the Olympic side of our sport, if you watch that, it was designed and purposefully to be unbelievably thrilling and unbelievably exciting. You've got riders coming off of this 27-foot-tall starting hill that's just enormous. The jumps are the biggest things that you'd ever see. The conundrum with that, while it's great and it's thrilling and it's exciting on TV, is there's not a lot of moms that are going to look at that and say, I want my 8-year-old kid to go do that. <laughs> right. So it's been this bizarre learning lesson for us here in where honestly, we, we touted Olympics and Olympics and Olympics really, really strong in that side of, of what our sport is on that elite level. And I tell you what we really found. We found that, again, the counter to that is pretty strong. When you see the sport on that level, it looks so extreme. It's not necessarily the best life for the sport to be under. So we're taking all of those opportunities, but again, really making sure the messaging comes back to, hey, Come out to Chandler BMX. Come see what it's like at the local level. Come enjoy a sport with your family where no one sits on the bench, where there's not a team, but the team there is a team, and the fact that the team is the family unit. So that that crafting that message and, and getting, you know, taking that opportunity and, and really molding it into that message is not easy, but we've got some really talented people making it happen. Well, I think it's great. I think you guys are doing fantastic. I think you gotta also look at the tail end of the Olympics, because it's always, you know, there's a lot of excitement generated in the lead up. But a week after the Olympics are over, everybody's forgotten. So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to follow that up and keep it on people's minds for trying to get another 30 days at least out of it. So just out of, I mean, because we're all pro-American, how, how's the rest of our team look? How, do we look like we got a shot at some other medals? How do we look at besides the Leafs? We look really good. So, so on, in the female category, we look really strong with Elise and the other riders that should be coming in in the women's group. From from the elite men category, we've got Connor Fields, who's just man, he is just an unbelievable professional athlete that we're so proud of. Corbin Saraz looking really good, a Tucson rider out of Arizona. Here, we were so proud because we, in the last Olympics in Rio, we nailed both the gold and got a silver. Connor got the gold medal. Elise got the silver, and, and we're. We're feeling pretty confident going into it. I mean, 
Look, at the end of the day, though, I mean, what I always remind everybody is you got to think about this. You know, the Olympics goes down. You get to that main event. You've got eight riders in that starting gate. And you've got a thousand feet of track in front of them. Where absolutely anything can happen. Anything can happen. So yep. as, ho- as hopeful as we, as we are, you just never know what's going to happen in that lap. You know, that's going to last a grand total of probably twenty seconds. So, but but we feel really good. We feel as good as we ever have going into any Olympics. And, and the best part about it, truthfully, is the athletes that we have going into the Olympics. We've really worked with these athletes year over year to tell them, hey guys. Any opportunity you can, tell them how to get started in BMX or tell them what it was like for you as a kid. Tell them what it meant for you and your, hey, Connor, you and your dad are best friends. Tell that story. Tell that story from Henderson, Nevada, from Boulder BMX over there and and what that meant to you because that's how we can grow our sport. And and, and I'm so proud to say that these guys on that level, they are so cognitive of that and, and they really will do anything we ask of them to help try to grow the sport. But we're very, very intentional in those efforts. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit here because I know you guys have, you've got a new facility in Tulsa, Oklahoma that you're kind of proud of. And I, I think it'd be great for you to share with this, this audience, what's going on in Tulsa and they come out, what might they see? Well, I, you know, look for anybody who, who's, who's thinking that, that, ah, oh, this BMX thing, it's a fad. It's not, you know, it's nothing. It's what it's not, you know, it's not much of a segment. Tulsa is such a great example for the last 20 years. USA BMX has hosted our season finale in Tulsa, Oklahoma, our grand nationals. It happens over the week of Thanksgiving. Believe it or not, I mean, in BMX, uh, that weekend, you don't spend that at home. If you're a BMX racer, you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We bring in almost 15,000 people to this event. The building that houses the Grand Nationals is a quarter-mile-long building. It's got 200,000 square feet of expo space in a lower level where we build the BMX track. And this city has just been such a phenomenal partner of ours and so supportive of our sport. And they've really watched us grow over these last 20 years. And simultaneously, we have watched them grow, you know, and become, you know, a, a really a, a very entrepreneurial, strong city that shifted, you know, out of just being nothing but an oil-based economy to, to, to a really strong economy with a lot of small businesses and, and growing every day. And we were looking for a new home. We've been based in, in Phoenix, Arizona, at one of the suburbs for several years, actually since the beginning, I should say. And we really, we, we just outgrew our, our office space. If you, if you had a chance to come see our offices, you would laugh. I mean, we've basically turned every closet we could into an office, depleted most of our warehouse space, and, and turned that into, into various offices. As our, gra- our, our office staff has almost tripled in size, we now have you know, almost 40 staff members working for us full time. Well, the guys in Tulsa said, why not here? And we're like, wait, we can't. We're not moving to Tulsa. Like, no, no, no. We, we, we love this, and we want to submit an Olympic sport in our community. We need this as a community. We want to be able to tell the story to any sport that wants to bring their event potentially to Tulsa, Oklahoma, that look at what we do. We build partnerships and look at USA BMX. We worked with them for 20 years and we just moved them here permanently because we want them to have their business here. That's you know how strong Tulsa is and what we do. And uh, believe it or not, we, we worked with their city leadership and their city leadership committed $26 million to wow. building a new headquarters and an arena that's going to house USA BMX. Basically, there'll be several components to the facility, an Olympic-level BMX track that's covered with seating for, for more than 2,500 uh, so that we can host some of our biggest and best events. Our permanent Hall of Fame is being constructed. That The design is just coming out 
absolutely phenomenal. We got a great firm out of Kansas City that actually did the Hall of Fame for Evil Knievel, and they kind of get our space and our sport. So the designs in the Hall of Fame are great. We've got great training facilities that are built into this so that the elite athletes can come and, and train and spend time here, and, and a whole educational programming center that's going to be out of there. Honestly, it was just us creating a partnership with a community, growing with them, and taking it to that next level. And, and I mean, and those guys in, in the city leadership just said, hey, you're here every Thanksgiving. Just come make this place your home. And, and, and we're excited to do it. That's awesome. I mean, I, got, I have to tell you, I was out on the East Coast. We were doing a, an event in North Carolina outside of Charlotte that was at this amazing U.S. National Whitewater Center. And I got to see the facility that was built out there just outside of Charlotte. And it's amazing. They've got, they've got a velodrome. They've got a BMX track. They're doing night criteriums on this protected road. It's, I mean, it's a, an amazing facility. That's what's unique in what's happening with USA BMX every single day. So the facility you're talking about is Rock Hill, and, yeah. and it's a great example. We ran into these guys at Rock Hill. Uh, I'm extremely active in the, the realm of sports tourism. I'm one of two sanctioning bodies or, or what they call rights holders that sits on the national board for sports tourism. For the uh, It's called Sports ETA, and I'm a board member there. And in this realm of sports tourism, we've really in the last you know, eight years have done a yeoman's job of selling the passion that we have for, for BMX racing and really building a brand that's very recognizable. But we did it with the angle of new track development, new BMX track development. So it's comical because we'll go in and we'll sit down with a city or a convention visitor bureau or a sports commission, and they just want to talk about one of these national events that's going to bring $5 million in economic impact. And I flipped the script on them. And I'm talking to them about, hey, okay, your local BMX track is good, but look, if you made this capital improvement investment, you would make it better. And I'm doing two things. One, I'm helping to get that local BMX club some extra funding because that's going to really take them to the next level and help them grow the sport in their community. And then also as a byproduct, yeah, we're making it a little bit more attractive to host the national event. And oftentimes we're having the same meetings with people that, that have – you know, they don't even have a facility. And the first question is, okay, well, look, you don't have a facility. You don't have an arena that we can use to do a temporary race. Man, let's build a permanent one. Rock Hill's an example of that. We just partnered with some unbelievable groups in Houston. And in Houston, they built a $28 million bike park. A $28 wow. million dollar bike park, Pat. If you went and saw this thing, you would be so blown away. It's right off George Bush Intercontinental Airport. Unbelievable facility. It's got an Olympic caliber BMX racetrack there. It's hosting the world championships in 2020. And literally, it started as a conversation in a speed dating ceremony at the annual conference. Wow. That's just the mission of what we're trying to do. And for us, it's, it's let's build new BMX tracks. We have to strengthen our relationships with the IBDs and, and become a partner. And we have to have a louder voice in the industry. And we've got to share the success of what we're doing because we're making things happen. No, you sure are. And I'm, I'm super excited to have had you on this podcast. I got a couple of last questions and then we'll, we'll wind it down and I'll thank you again. But you've already kind of said it all through the conversation and just in terms of your outlook on kids and cycling in the future. And obviously, you're very bullish on it. And God bless you, because we need more of that in this industry. But here's where I come from. I'm, a, I'm an industry guy. I've been at it for 40 plus years. And there's a lot of investment going into making it safer for people to ride bikes on the streets and creating green lanes and doing a lot of really good, important work. But I think we're losing sight of getting more kids out there. And that's one that I'm 
frustrated with. And I, I guess my point, my question to you is, what can we as an industry, how can we do more to get more kids onto bikes? Yes, BMX, but what else can we be doing to get, just get kids on bikes and off of computers? Well, look, you hit the nail on the head with the very last statement that you said. We in society are facing the toughest times that we have ever faced when it comes to volunteerism and when it comes to our own children and getting them outside to do something active, just like I did. You know, I talk about my local bike shop and being, a, you know, literally a bike shop rat. I mean, I, I rode my bike, you know, my Schwinn Stingray. I rode my Schwinn Stingray five miles to my local bike shop when I was 10 years old and sat there and stared at a Hutch Junior Pro for every day for an entire summer until my dad bought me one. That wouldn't even happen today. I wouldn't even be allowed to ride a bicycle five miles yeah. to go out. So, so we're challenged. We're challenged as a society because of helicopter parenting and this protectionism that we have and this isolation where literally that freedom in that thing that we experienced that made us love cycling so much because we got on our bike and we were free. We have to find ways to challenge that. We have to find ways to break that mold. You know, and I think that there are a lot of different avenues. We've got some major school initiatives. I know we've got our executive director of our foundation, Mike Devarney, who's going to talk to you on a school level about what we're doing there, which I think is, is major. We've got to go to where the kids are, find a way to get them excited about riding their bicycles and get them out. For us with BMX racing, I think it's really simple. That target audience that we talked about earlier, these two, three, four, and five-year-olds, we have to make a major initiative around there. We have got to do everything we can to take that competitive advantage that we have as an industry and get people on bikes at a very early age and, and let some of those first family photos of a kid being on a balance bike. That, to me, is, is step number one. As an industry, what we would challenge any retailer, manufacturer, or distributor is to find your local BMX track. Give me a call personally. Call me you know, at the office. Look me up on LinkedIn. Look me up on, on our website at usabmx.com. And if you need help to get information about where your local bike shop is or how we can partner together, where your local track is, I should say, let me know, and, and we'll guide you in the right direction there. There is so much opportunity to create partnership within the world of BMX racing alone that, again, this is not major investment stuff. This is just making a commitment to you cycling and making a commitment to have some presence and some relevancy, but what you're ultimately doing is you are 100% building the demand for your supply. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not some huge profit margin that's going to be there, but it's a, a long-term play. If right now, if all we do as a retail side of the industry, if all we just keep doing is chasing the next fad, all say, hey, we're in e-bikes. Everything's e-bikes. So we're a huge profit margin. That's what's saving our business. That's great for the short term. What are we doing for the long run? That's a great, great way to end this conversation because that is, this is the long run. And I think our industry, because we're so competitive in, in nature, we are looking to, you know, as road bike sales drop, you know, e-bikes are the savior and it's a quick fix to plug in that hole and it doesn't solve the long term. We've got to get more kids. We've got to get safe places for them to ride. We've got to get parents comfortable letting those kids go out and, and enjoy that freedom because at the end of the day, that's why we all love cycling, right? Without a doubt. And what we love about the BMX facility and the BMX track is this culture that we create where everybody fits in. You know, I mean, when you go to your local BMX track, I like to tell everybody, it's the funniest thing because it's, it's almost this island of misfit toys. It's the one unique place 
where you go to and you've got the kid that could be the starting quarterback at the high school that's no more popular than the kid that has no athletic ability but at the BMX track, they're there, they're racing, they're having fun, and they're participating together in a great family sport. And I think getting back to that level of where the, the IBDs are intimately involved in a BMX track, maybe even running a BMX track and yeah. building 100, 200 brand new customers. You know, we've got a great programs and staff that are dedicated nothing to do nothing more than build BMX tracks across the United States with great support there. But this is this place where in that controlled environment, it really matches the trends in society, right? Where we've got this, this helicopter parenting where we're not going to just let them go out. Well, hey, you want to come and learn how to ride a bike? Come do it at the local BMX track. We'll show you how. We'll build that love for cycling in a safe family environment that really pairs well with what's happening in society today. Great way to end it, John. I can't thank you enough for the time you invested here today. And hopefully we've won some people over. <laughs> that was the objective. But I think we've shed some light on things that maybe they're not thinking about. And maybe they'll go back to their stores and think about that today. If you all have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to John. He's, he's a great resource. His team is there to answer any questions and help you do whatever it is you have a thought to do. I want to thank you again for your time. This is the Bicycle Retail Radio presented by the NBDA. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Pat. Appreciate the time and the opportunity. You, you bet. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. <music>